there's a lot of scientists that believe that this is a possible future within this century, right? Mm -hmm. Within the next five decades, even. Let's say that that happens. And at the same time, we all, uh, in 10 years time, we're all wearing Apple AirPods that actually measure our brain waves. Then it is 100% guaranteed that an AI could devise a way to use those devices to manipulate our brain waves, to manipulate what we are thinking and literally turn us into an army of drones. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the last season of Westworld, although I didn't really like it, literally looks at a world where artificial intelligence takes over and finds a way to manipulate our brain waves and basically they control us in a city. And this sounds extremely dystopic and extremely unrealistic like sci-fi movie, but I, I te I'm telling you, this is a real possibility in the next 100 years. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Heads Talk with me, Elaine Pringle-Schwitter, the podcast where we talk to C-level executives, leaders of institutions and heads of multinationals. What are the current topics? They talk, we listen. Can you imagine getting into a business or a market where you actually spend 100 billion plus on a piece of paper. Are you kidding me? It was like a frying pan of the head. I got nothing against CFOs. It was not just the job of a lifetime, it was the job of a thousand lifetimes. My guest today has been on this show before for the retail series. He is the brilliant storyteller, futurist, educator, <laughs> advisor, and is sought after on the speaking circuit after about all things Metaverse and Web3. He has had a number of leadership roles to include a chief marketing officer. And it is this expertise and role that has brought him back again to Heads Talk for this Neurotech series. Yes, we have Mr. Metaverse today, and I'm sure yet again, it will be a captivating conversation. But before we get into that, here's a brief message. Need a website that truly reflects your brand and drives results? Introducing Sites Done Right, the ultimate website builder and marketing engine. With our AI-powered platform, create a professional site in minutes without technical skills or coding knowledge. Plus, generate traffic, capture leads, and boost your sales with our built-in marketing tools. Visit sitesdoneright.co.uk today and start with a 14-day free trial. Heads Talk Podcast with your host Elaine Pringle-Schwitter. Aragorn Moulindex is the strategic advisor at YOM, your open metaverse, the leading Dutch metaverse platform. He's also an influential voice on LinkedIn and in the Dutch media, including BNR News, Radio Digital and Cryptocast on all things metaverse. Last year, in 2022, he founded www.itsmrmetaverse.com with Jeroen Elout and Bo Walters to meet the growing demand for information, education, and advice on the metaverse and Web3 for business. Aragorn is an explorer and an early adopter of technology with a passion for psychology and the humanities. Aragorn spends most of his time talking about blockchain, AI, XR, transhumanism, the metaverse, and how they will change civilization as we know it. Clients and brands that have worked with Aragorn and its Mr. Metaverse include Deloitte, Salesforce, Accenture, the Dutch Blockchain Association, Hendrix Genetics, Best Event Award, Masters in Moderation.com, FCN Carbon Network, um, Rabo Bank Networks, Teleperformance, just to name a few. In September. <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> 
Sorry, I'm I'm I'm, I'm gonna have to delete my laugh out of this bit, but okay. No, you shouldn't. That's, that's the best part. <laughs> right. Okay, okay. In 2022, Aragorn was nominated as one of the top 15 metaverse speakers in the world by Champion Speakers UK. So, without further ado, I'd like to welcome back Aragorn to Heads Talk. Many thanks for being with us again. Wow, Lane, that, uh, that was that was really an introduction. Eh? <laughs> it, was, it, was, it, it was a bit of a mouthful, wasn't it, of an introduction? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah and, I'm, uh, I'm I'm surprised. Who is this guy, Aragorn? Wow. Well, 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 it's you. So you better you better adopt his persona. And why is it that every time I introduce you, I always end up sounding like someone in a Star Trek episode or something? <laughs> I don't know, but I do like it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. Okay. Good stuff. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm keen to talk to you on, on this series because there is a tie between marketing, neuroscience, and newer technology that I want to explore and explore with you. Um, yep. Companies want to influence you to buy their products and services, naturally, and more and more using newer solutions to, to, to understand and potentially influence their consumers. As Mr. Yep. Metaverse, um, yeah. I, I want to know how this plays out in that arena and um, what you can tell me about the pitfalls, the positives, and perhaps where we're going with this. But first, first, since our last conversation, please provide my listeners with a brief summary, an update of where you are today and what has changed since we last talked. Yeah. Thanks, Elaine. Well, last time we spoke, of course, I was still working at YOM, uh, mm. also known formally as Your Open Metaverse, which was a, a project and a startup in the Netherlands. They're building a, a very, very, very uh, great potential platform for the metaverse that combines Web3 technology and blockchain with three spatial computing, three-dimensional engines, uh, in this case, Unreal Engine and Unity, which are the two biggest mm. ones, to provide a platform it can operate like, think of it like a YouTube for 3D mm -hmm. assets and experiences. And um, I had a great year there. Ultimately, though, uh, my vision on some things uh, differs uh, too much from some of the ideas that they have, uh, mm -hmm. both about, you know, the startup and, and how to go forward with the platform. And that happens. That's perfectly fine. Yep. I still believe that they're really onto something amazing and they're developing it in a great way. I felt that as a company um, and as an individual uh, within the space, we also have certain responsibilities that are not solely towards our shareholders and generating uh, revenue and margins, but that we have a responsibility at this particular point in time to educate and help the the, the the broader, you know, the wider world to understand what is heading our way. Because mm. it's my belief, and I, th I think I've said this last time, that we are really at a, a, a paradigm shift moment for humanity. Uh, and um, yes. uh, the changes that are coming over the next two decades, and I, I believe that you're with me on this page, uh, are, are going to be really, really, really massively impactful to the extent that most people have no idea what's coming our way. Mm. And so... I made a decision to follow that belief together with uh, most of the the former your marketing team. Mm -hmm. So we we started a new company called It's Mr. Metaverse, and our our goal is simply to help consult, advise, educate uh, both both the companies that can afford to pay us well, uh, but also those people non uh, non. Um, what do you call it? No, I was going to say non-governmental, but I mean um, non-profit organizations and, and the wider world in general. Mm -hmm. So we're creating content. I'm doing lots of keynotes. 
Um, we create workshops and trainings, both custom-made, and we are ready to launch a set of uh, of uh, uh, workshops that people can sign up for to join anywhere in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm writing some books. I'm making a podcast, so we're very busy uh, creating all kinds of content that will help have help anybody interested mm-hmm. uh, to get, make their first steps into this new world. Mm-hmm. And that's great. And um, listeners. I will get all the links possible from Oregon and put it in the show notes so you can click on there and go directly to him. And please do contact him directly if there's anything you'd like to do with him, want from him or need from him, be it from a, a corporate level, individual level. He he is your man. Um, you, you have a Metaverse Academy? Um, who's involved in this and, and who are the clientele? Yeah, so yeah, our Meta Academy, as we're calling it, obviously, you know, but nice marketing uh, doesn't yeah. it doesn't it's never never lost. So the Meta Academy uh, right now it's really focused on professionals in the marketing and the event space specifically, mm-hmm. but not exclusively. They want to make their first move on metaverse technology. So it really starts very basic, um, because I find that in the metaverse community. Uh, People very often really quickly forget uh, that everything that they deal with on a day-to-day basis are things that most people have no idea that is going on or what it means. Mm-hmm. There's lots of jargon. There's a lot of uh, also mis- misunderstanding about what is metaverse, what is involved with metaverse. It's a concept that's still in flux. So we start out really easy, but just making sure that everybody that partakes in the in the in the in the, in the academy mm-hmm. understands truly what what is involved, and then from there we move to very practical, on the one hand, business cases that are already active in the world. I mean, for example, KLM Air France is a major uh, um, uh, airplane operator or, you know, they they fly, you know what I mean, but um, they're the Royal Dutch Airlines and they have a metaverse uh, or I should say VR, AR, mostly XR um, department. And they're thinking about, you know, creating virtual holiday destinations, but they also use it to train their personnel for emergencies in planes and things like that. So there's very traditional companies already finding uses for metaverse technologies that are really, really, um, really impactful, mm-hmm. um, innovative, but that help them reduce cost, um, are more scalable, etc. Then there's, for example, Hendrix Genetics, and mm-hmm. they're doing the same thing. They use AR to have laboratories in Chile work together with laboratories in the Netherlands. Um, so there's many business cases, even for more old fashioned kind of business models uh, where they can already start benefiting from these technologies, but the 99% don't know. So mm-hmm. the Meta Academy is aimed at in, 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 in uh, educating, informing um, and giving them the handholds to make the first steps into starting to try out and adopt mm-hmm. these technologies. All right. Okay. That's good. That's good stuff. Um, as you know, this this is a new series, um, Neurotech, and, and I've been talking to a number of um, neuroscientists, neurosurgeons, um, neurotech startups and scale-ups. And, and, and as, I, as I mentioned to you before the, this recording, I wanted to talk to someone in the, in the metaverse or someone, an expert in the metaverse, and who better than to talk with you, Aragorn. Thank you for that. Um, but before we get into the metaverse, it's and um, general thoughts on the neurotech industry boom in recent years. What are you seeing, Aragorn? Uh, well, what am I seeing? Well, I think there's some really, really, really exciting stuff going down there. Honestly, sometimes I feel that things are going rather slow. 
What? <laughs> yeah, I, I know, I know, right? Um, yeah. But if you imagine that back in 2013, I think it was, or 2014, I pre-ordered what was called a Mayo wristband yeah. from a company yeah. that was then called Thalmic Labs, which has uh, since been acquired by Google, that it was a wristband you put around mm -hmm. and it would allow you to control, for example, a PowerPoint presentation or anything really oh, on your wow. computer by, by gestures, right? So what it did was it had several sensors that would measure the activity in your your nerve your neural activity in your arm uh when you were moving your muscles and by using that data it could then connect that specific you know uh, patterns to specific actions and so if you double click your fingers like this yeah. it would go to the next slide things like that now that was it was a kickstarter project it was very early days and of course it wasn't uh it, you know it wasn't in it was not um Minority Report kind of quality where Tom Cruise is mm -hmm. just <laughs> waving his hands. And it was it, it 10, all... years, 10 years ago still. Exactly, 10 years ago. So for me, you know, a decade has passed. And where are we today? Well, it's it's only been a little more than a year or actually a year and a half that there was mm -hmm. an article um, online because Facebook had done a demo about their AR, VR department, but they also in that demo showcased a little part of their neurotech um, department, which showcased the same technology. And uh, in many ways, it was still the same as the Maya from Telmec Labs, although it was way more um, yeah. way more powerful, way more precise, and way, way further developed. Uh, and so I was like, wow, is this all that happened in 10 years' time? A little bit. But do you think that's a result of um, cautious investors on this? No, I'll, I think that it wasn't very hot, definitely. So I think that uh, for a long time, there wasn't going that much investment into it. Now I'm no expert on, on the investment scene, so I, I can't mm. guarantee that that is the truth, but that's a feeling I have. But I definitely believe that in recent years, this has picked up. What I also believe is that many companies like, for example, Facebook for, of Meta, formerly known as Facebook, have been investing in this uh, and researching into this mm -hmm. uh, on quite, um, how do you say this, on the background. Yep. You know, they've not been very upfront about it because obviously all of this has very potentially negative connotations, right? You could say, well, whoa, 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 yes. Facebook is yes. learning to read our minds. You know, what, what's going on there? This, we don't want that. So mm -hmm. I think because it's a very, uh, it's, 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 not a good, it's not good PR for them at the moment, because at the moment they're still battling the use of our data issues. So to, if you're going to throw that in on it, on top of it, it's not probably not good for them. It can definitely be be interpreted in uh, in the wrong way, uh, and so I think that a lot of companies are very cautious about how they present this to the world. All right, okay, we're going to dive deeper into that later on in the conversation. So I'm looking forward to exploring that a little bit more with you. But how would you say it, it as in neuroscience, neurotech, manifested itself in the metaverse? Where is it, and and how is it being used? I mean. You can include deep learning and AI into this if you if you want. So just tell me, what are you seeing? Yeah, well, I think you're you're already going in the direction that I would go. I think that um, I think the big difference between now and ten years ago is actually AI. And the funny thing is that basically every conversation I have about any technology involving the metaverse will come to this point where it suddenly goes. It, it's about AI. Right. Mm -hmm. I think that the progress uh, and developments in AI currently and uh, and the progress that's been made over the past decade are 
the consequences of that are truly incomprehensible for for mankind right now mm -hmm. or humankind i should say um it it people don't really understand what's going on with 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 the power of neural networks and it's funny because yes. we're talking about neurotech today and and we're talking when we talk about ai we talk about neural networks right mm -hmm. so there's so many connotations to that um first of all basically you know current ai and the amazing things it does are neural networks which are in some ways you know trying to um replicate some of the workings of the human brain Mm -hmm. uh, in very interesting ways, that in itself doesn't just teach us about AI. It's also teaching us about the, uh, about the brain, about how our brains might be working and functioning. Mm -hmm. um, there's been many um, pushback recently on new AIs that were used to generate content, mm -hmm. um, and basically what that AI was doing, it was using technological processing power, which is you know uh, several factors faster than the human brain, yeah. Yeah. to fast track inspiration. Right. Um, but on the one hand, we, we're learning about that. We're learning about the brain. But that technology in and of itself also enables us to fast track other uh, other areas for research. So areas, for example, for recognizing uh, brain waves and how yes. yeah. and and specifically how what we're thinking about yeah. are also suddenly being you know going in overdrive. Recently, there was a. Um, a gamer called Perry Karyal online, and she is playing a game called, I think it was Elden Ring, and she's playing mm -hmm. it with an, an uh, EEG monitor on her head that registers her brainwaves, and she's playing the game solely by thinking about what she wants to do. Mm -hmm. That's something that was not possible 10 years ago, and the only reason it's possible now is because they're using AI to interpret the brainwaves mm -hmm. uh, and the mm -hmm. patterns. And even though they don't un always fully understand how the AI does it, because that is sometimes a little bit of a black box, it does allow them to far more specifically understand what re certain readings mean and what's going on in the in the brain and what we want. Mm -hmm. right? And that is all, you know, superpowering this whole development. Mm -hmm. So in terms of the metaverse, right now we're still looking at a lot of, uh, developments around you know how we're going to interact with this world and they're using cameras for example google yeah, uh, launched yeah. um, a new form of google glass i would say or maybe they don't want to call it google glass but uh ar glasses they're, they're they're trying out that can provide subtitles to the world and but they can also read your facial expressions and and give uh information about the person we're looking at but what if we don't even need those cameras right uh what if we can go a step further um yeah so it's very 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 interesting no i think we've come a long way i mean if you remember our conversation last year when we were talking about using these sort of clunky headsets and being in the virtual world and sort of um gormously enjoying ourselves in the virtual world now we're talking about reading brain waves this year so, so what are we going to be talking about next year i wonder it's, it's <laughs> a, and you're saying it's moving quite slowly are you sure Aragorn? Well, I mean, uh, let me let me rephrase that. I thought that the 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 space at which the technology to actually transfer neural activity into into you know action through yeah. technology that was going slower than I had anticipated a decade ago. But yeah. if you're asking me about the moment right now, right now, I think all of that has gone into overdrive, and I think in the next few years we'll see see significant, uh, very impactful new applications of this. Yeah. I think so. I think so. Right. Um, okay. Let, let's let me have, uh, give you a, sort of an additional question. Um, I think I think that I know your answer will scare me, but nevertheless, 
Um, as, a, as a guess, how do you see a lot of this playing out in the future? Where will neuro, neurotech be uh, and be used in, say, five, I'd say five, I was going to say ten, but it's a lot sooner than later. Five years' time, what do you think is happening there? Um, in five years' time? Mm -hmm. Well, I think that my vision on the near future, say, five to ten years, uh, is that we will enter a phase of a lot of disruption, which will be tangible, even in the streets, in daily life. Um, and I think that also goes here because the conversation is going to surface. How do we deal with this? How does this affect privacy? If you're wearing a device that is literally measure, measuring your brainwaves because there's companies working on you know, audio earbuds that we all are wearing. Well, not all, but many of us are wearing day to day, right? I, mm -hmm. I have earbuds that already can measure my hearing so mm -hmm. that they can adjust the equalizer on the fly, wow. right? So that neuro, they're called Neuroloop. They're not actually using Neurotech. <laughs> they're called Neuro or Neurophone. Mm -hmm. um, but but there, there's companies working on using these to measure our brainwaves, right? Now, the potential use cases for that are incredible. But I guarantee you that there's going to be, there's going to be, well, not riots, but there's going to be a lot of issues <laughs> deriving from that, right? There will be a lot of trouble coming out of that conversations about, you know, the ethical side of things. So that's one thing. Um, on the other hand, I also think that um, that is just part of a bigger conversation on how we deal with privacy, right? Mm -hmm. And my belief has been, and maybe we discussed this to some extent last time, but as we move into this metaverse world, um, and the part, the Web3 technology part of the metaverse, which might just be one part of it, but becomes ever more important. And whether we use blockchains or or crypto-related mm -hmm. uh, technology for that is not absolutely necessary. There are other ways, but this is definitely the technology that has seen the most investment and is moving the, at the fastest pace. And mm -hmm. it does provide us with the possibilities to um, uh, to to safeguard privacy in new ways. But that will definitely be a conversation because that technology, even though it provides that option, in and of itself has not even been fully embraced and accepted <laughs> yet. And there's still a lot of going on about that. And there's no legislation. I mean, imagine there's, there's, there's a massive legislation problem around the world for Web3. Imagine legislation about reading people's brains. Right, <laughs> reading reading what's going on in our minds. I mean, the issues that they bring up. If if I could give, and I have been giving this advice to lawyers in my personal environment, I said, get on this, get on this, get on Web three, get on neurotech, mm -hmm. start thinking about the impact it has for legislation because that is where the future is yes. for you, and yes. you can make a lot of money. <laughs> exactly, that's where you need to be. You want people to see you as the expert in that space. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, but let's con let's continue talking about you know ethical matters and and privacy. But now, sort of in in marketing and something that's happening around neuromarketing, um, I would like to explore neuromarketing with the advent of the metaverse and and new technology solutions. Actually, do you know of any specific neuromarketers? That depends on your definition of a neuromarketer. <laughs> so, 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 well, how, so would you, how, would, how would you define it what's your I understanding mean, of neuromarketing well you know it's, uh, i mean if you're looking at if you say neuromarketing and you're really looking at uh, somebody that's actively using this technology physical yes. technology right so for example people that are using the readings from my 
Whoop Health Tracker, which measure, measures my heart rate at 100 times per second. And uh, based on that, it can extrapolate the status of my autonomous nervous system um, or, or, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, then there's there's almost no one doing this yet except the companies involved with it, right? I, I just this week Whoop launched a partnership with a different app that provides recovery. Mm-hmm. So they they they're using the data that they get from this to help another app that helps you to recover. But that's that's really anything that I've heard about it. But if you look at neuro you know neuro marketing, uh, and you you not necess- put the technology or hardware wearables and such in there as absolutely necessary, then you could say. And this is some people will think maybe this is a little silly of me to say, but that we that that marketing has always been around that, right? I mean, you know, as as far back as I think the '40s in in the previous century, we had subliminal messaging taking place during movies, showing us a Coca-Cola frame once every hundred frames or something like that, so we wouldn't actually see it, but it would influence our brain. Yeah, and but... in some ways, you could easily say that that is also uh, yeah, neuromarketing. Yeah, so... I know, I know about that, but they don't. There's nothing definitive about those studies, and I've seen that. There's nothing definitive about those studies that actually says that does really fully encourages you to buy Coca-Cola or whatever it is. It's it's been done, but there was nothing that could be proven that it does make someone do that. But with neuromarketing today, I mean, I think I sent you something today. I don't know if you've picked it up. This was somebody making a comment on an an episode that I created where they talked about, you know, silent verbalization with your mobile phone next to you and various apps, whatever app will pick that up and use that to advertise something. For instance, they mentioned like, if I've got to get a pack of cigarettes or if I've got to buy a shoe, that the the ad will pop up at some point on your phone because one of the apps have picked up you said that to yourself or something like yes that. yes uh what i'm talking about in terms of today's neuromarketing that kind of yeah thing. well I, i've heard this particular story a few times mm-hmm. um and honestly i believe that um but I mean, I can't be 100% sure about this. I mean, we've seen what happened with Cambridge Analytica. Yes. Companies can say one thing and do another. So the official the official standpoint from, for example, Amazon and also Google is that they're not listening in on our conversations. I mean, I have an Alexa on my desk. I have several Google Home, several Alexas. Uh, and they say they're not listening in on what we're saying and they're not recording that and they're not using it. Um, there is definitely on the off chance, although I, I don't think it, it is the case, but you know, it is possible that they are. And then they could absolutely be using that. And people, I've had friends that said, I'm convinced they're doing it because uh, I didn't do anything online. And then this Nike shoe showed up yes. that I was talking to, to my friend. I, I honestly, uh, to, to be honest, I believe that in these cases, it's it's simply a matter of um, human memory being very fallible. We think that we remember very accurately what we've done, when we've done it, and how we've done it. But the truth is that our memory is completely unreliable because our memory is the mm. same part as our brain that we use to predict the future. And it and every f- predicting the future requires flexibility. And so, because they are so so closely linked, we are also very flexible in how we what we memorize and how we remember it. And so when people say to me, I think that they're listening in on me, I believe that they just simply forgot that they might have already Googled it or clicked on it or maybe spent some time in a web page showing it. Uh, so there's the thing is we're creating so much data all the time as humans yeah. already through our interactions with our current digital lives and, and even the physical world that we have no idea of what people can extrapolate from that. And this is where the AI comes in. So I don't think that is necessarily a useful technology either. 
I mean, mm-hmm. you, they can already derive this in so many other ways. Why would they go through the very challenging but also risky practice of listening in on our conversations? Mm-hmm. And that's that's interesting, and, and it kind of throws me onto a side thing. I remember watching it was this documentary. You probably watched it as well, where they put two people in separate taxis and took them on the journey from A to B. And then at the end of that journey, they put them in the room and asked them to devise an ad for something. And they both came up with the same thing because they passed various things and obviously noticed various things on the journey towards point B. And the third person took a different route and came up with something completely different. And I just thought that was interesting in terms of um, how your brain picks up certain, it's probably nothing to do with this topic, how your brain picks up certain things in order to create an end product. I just thought mm-hmm. it's quite funny, interesting, that was the thing. And, and that came up in my head when you were just talking. I just thought well, I mentioned. Yeah, I honestly, I think uh, I think there's an American show called Fulos. I'm not 100% sure, but uh, in it, there's an episode. It's an episode with a Dutch mentalist called Timon Kauze. And mm-hmm. um, he, he is uh, basically, every time he's, um, says he is reading the mind of of the other person, and he knows in what hand they have a coin. And any mentalist will tell you that that's not about reading somebody's mind. That's about influencing somebody's thought process. And we already know how easy that is. And so, if we're you know taking the neurotech in here, and we're taking the mm-hmm. current developments with uh, EEGs and the ability to read our minds and technology from from Google and Facebook to give us wearables that will read our body's signals, I think that what we can expect there is that they'll just be able to do it way more precisely. Um, but once they start using actual sensors to do that, that will mm-hmm. ultimately also uh, put them at risk of uh, of the discussion, you know, what is, is this ethical and what are the restrictions and what, what kind of legislation do we need around that? But mm-hmm. it exists. I mean, it's a fact. The human brain is, is very easy to influence. It's very easy to uh, redirect our attention to one thing and then do something somewhere else. It's very easy to manipulate. That's what I'm hearing. It's very from. easy to manipulate. Absolutely, yes. That's a bit worrying. Um, do you have any concerns generally oh, with <sighs> this neuromarketing thing? You, you seem quite comfortable that, you know, big corporations are not doing it. People are exaggerating. This is conspiracy theory stuff. And you, 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 that's, what, that's what's coming across to me. Well, no, let, let, let me, well, okay. <laughs> let me put it this way. <laughs> Big companies are doing it. <laughs> They're doing it for sure. But That's they've been one, doing it for yeah. But they've been doing it for a long time, uh, and uh, they're gonna look for new ways to do it. So I'm not denying that. Uh, what I am saying is that um, the 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 quickest way from A to B is not necessarily using these technologies. So I am I'm just putting questions marks behind the assumption that they are using very advanced you know, kind of technology to listen in on our conversations. If they can achieve the same goal with something that's way less risky and way easier, uh, like just extrapolating the data from where we're going on our our web browsers day to day uh, through cookies, then that's what they're going to do. But that is going to change. I mean, at least that's my expectation that over the next decade, we'll see a a rapid uh, shift there. I think that one of the reasons Mark Zuckerberg is in hot water is because he also recognized this and he's trying to turn the mammoth oil tanker that that Facebook, uh, aka Meta, is, of course. But he's trying to do it in a way that doesn't alarm his shareholders because he already, and, and this is me 
projecting. I don't know if this is what he's thinking, but I, I think that Mark Zuckerberg realizes that the business model that Meta has been working by will be gone within 10 years and he mm. needs to rapidly shift that business model. Uh, but if he would say that today in our current shareholder value economy, then his shareholders will absolutely not uh, not accept that. And so he is pushing the boundaries, but he's still going there. And I think we can see more signals within the broader tech uh, world and in the economy that they're signaling, signaling this awareness. Mm -hmm. But Zuckerberg is not the only billionaire, dare I say, that's going in that space. We've got Elon Musk he um, investing heavily in this space. You know about Neuralinks and implantables. You know, what is it they're expecting? What is it do you think that they're looking for with this? I don't think they're looking for anything. Honestly, uh, I think this is a misconception that many people have. As a salesperson, I was always taught, you know, you look for pain and then you, you offer a solution and that's how you sell. And that kind of mindset has really become the standard. Everybody thinks of the world in terms of there needs to be a reason and, that's, and then things happen. That's not how the world works, right? There, there's no reason that life came into existence on planet Earth except for that, you know, that's how evolution worked out. Uh, molecules uh, hit each other. They turned into different elements. Elements came together and they, they became cells. And even, you know, so, I, and I know that some religious people might not agree with me on this, but um, that is the view science holds. That's the view I hold in general. And I think that applies here, right? Why did we create a capitalist economy? Not because we needed it. That's just what happened. Um, and there were definitely factors that played into that. And, and so we're going to see now, we're going to see this technology come to, to fruition uh, or further develop and influence our lives in many different ways because people see, in this case, people see ways of using it to our benefit. Mm -hmm. And that drives it. Why, why, why is Elon Musk de developing all of his technologies? Because he thinks it will benefit humanity because it is unavoidable and somebody is going to do it anyway. So he it might as well be him, right? Uh, and I think the same goes for, for Mark Zuckerberg. At some point, you, you lose the idea that everything only um, comes into being because of a certain necessity. Things just happen. Things just happen. Uh, in, in that sense, I would go as far as to say that uh, technology is a part of human evolution and, and as such it's a natural evolution but it's also a force of nature jeff booth in his book the price of tomorrow says you know technology is an uh, infinitely uh, deflationary power and the biggest deflationary power we've ever seen and i think that is true and because it's deflationary and it's exponentially changing uh, and also you know keeps on going um, mm -hmm. on the other hand i Elon Musk also said technology in and of itself does not always move forward. It can also move backwards. And this is also true. We've already seen periods in human history where we gained technology and then lost it again. Uh, the dark ages yeah. uh, were a period where we lost many, many technologies and we're still uh, trying to find them back, back today. But I think in the current world that you and me live in for the next few decades, it's unavoidable. All right. Okay. Well, what do you think will be the... The un unintended consequences of the use of newer technology. Well, worst case scenario, uh, we really head into an extremely dystopic future. Um, let's say, for example, worst case scenario that the current uh, geopolitical uh, almost crisis, I would say, that basically started with the Ukraine war, uh, continues to exacerbate, and the United States actually fall apart as a nation. I mean, many people would say that that is inevitable as well. Mm -hmm. um, 
if we have a complete, you know, um, destabilization of, of, of authority in the world, then it's not unimaginable that big tech companies, which are very, very powerful right now, uh, will use this technology to literally control uh, humanity. Mm. Um, you could even come up with it, which sounds like a science fiction movie, but you could come up with a scenario where an artificial intelligence uh, actually gains um, human level intelligence, so becomes an AGI, and then proceeds to become a super intelligence within a very short time. And there's people that write about it, like Nick Bostrom wrote about this. There's a lot of scientists that believe that this is a possible future within this century, right? Mm -hmm. Within the next five decades, even. Let's say that that happens, and at the same time, we all, uh, in ten years' time, we're all wearing Apple AirPods that actually measure our brain waves. Then. It is 100% guaranteed that an AI could devise a way to use those devices to manipulate our brainwaves, to manipulate what we are thinking and literally turn us into an army of drones. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the last season of Westworld, although I didn't really like it, literally looks at a world where artificial intelligence takes over, finds a way to manipulate our brainwaves and basically they control us in a city. And this sounds extremely dystopic and extremely unrealistic like a sci-fi movie, but I, I te I'm telling you, this is a real possibility in the next hundred years. Oh, <laughs> that's actually quite scary. It's, it's, it's almost as if it's kind of like a cult. The artificial intelligence will take over our brains and, and brainwash us into doing whatever they see. It can, fit. it could be, but you know, but, but it can, and, and it would not do that because it has, uh, uh, like, so this, I would like to say in Westworld, you know, it's portrayed as an AI that is angry and, and, uh, and, and, <laughs> and uh, wants to get back and, and feels abused. That's not how it's going to be. You know, AI will never be that. If we go back to the start of our AI conversation. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, if we go back to the conversation that you had uh, referring to your earlier podcast uh, about how AI works, we tend to project our human, human sides yes. on artificial intelligence, but that's not how it works. This yeah. will be an, an if it you know, if it becomes an intelligence, mm -hmm. then it will be an intelligence unlike anything that we can imagine. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's also where the risk is, right? Mm -hmm. Because if you tell, if I tell you, Elaine, oh, okay, um, we're going to do this podcast, but you know, if I say anything that you know is probably not suitable for for publication, please cut it out. You know enough to. The, you know, to to figure out what you can and cannot take from this podcast. But if you would say that to an AI, um, the way it interprets that might be very different, right? It, it it might not be able to distinguish the gray areas that we have as as humans, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, keep everybody safe. If I say to you, keep me safe if we're going out, then you're not going to interfere with my evening. Uh, you might just tell me if somebody bad approaches me, like maybe you don't want to talk to that person. If what, I would tell the same thing to an AI, and it becomes a directive, then that AI might go as far as to put me in a coma for the whole night just to make sure that I, you know, I don't get hurt. Because the ultimate objective is to keep me safe. And that means reducing the risk below, you know, to the absolute minimum statistically, right? So it's a different, very different way of going about dealing with reality. Mm. Um, but yeah, but, let, but let, let's just um, for a bit, just talk about um, in terms of reading brainwaves and the future of that. I'm sort of imagining individuals are able to read and understand the brainwaves of an of another individual. So we almost know what each other's thinking. It's kind of the last frontier. Our thoughts are our own at the moment, but at some point, I think somewhere down the future, probably not in our life, our lifetime, but maybe not, who knows, we're going to be able to read each other's thoughts. Um, 
how how do you see that looking in, in the future? I mean, you you can't lie anymore. You can't you know you can't do. There's a lot of things you can't do. You'll know if someone's guilty of something. All these kind of things. Oh, or am I in the delving into the sci-fi arm of everything? Yes. Uh, oof, there's so many thoughts that rush to my brain right now. <laughs> uh, in um. In His Dark Materials, which is a BBC series, uh, there is an episode. They have a, 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 a what's it called? An eleotheometer, I think. Eleotheometer. I don't remember the exact word. But she, this allows the um, Lyra, the main character, to ask questions and then she gets the answer, which is 100% true. And uh, at one point, it tells her that you know one of her partners is actually a killer. This is also something that you could find out about somebody if you can read their brain. Mm. But if you don't have the wider co the context initially, and you might not have that even if you can read somebody's thought in that particular moment, there's a lot of room for misinterpretation, right? So being able to read somebody's mind doesn't necessarily mean that we can actually understand a person any better than we can now because our worlds, as, as uh, Immanuel Kant already said, we cannot really know we cannot really know reality. And so we cannot really know another person because we are living inside our own camera, seeing that, you know, looking out from that camera to the world, but we cannot step out of that camera and look at that mm. camera and its place in the world. Uh, and I hope people can follow when they're... Yeah, uh, yes, exactly. So I hope people can follow this and, 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 and understand this. So on the one hand, being able to connect mentally does not necessarily mean that we can truly understand each other any better than we can now. On the other hand, it might definitely be allow for more empathy if we can truly feel somebody's emotions. For example, there's a researcher at the University of LA. I always forget her name. She's a Mexican descent woman, I think, but she's doing some great research and she's researching into um, frontline journalism, so immersive journalism. Mm -hmm. And so the problem today, for example, with media is that we might read about a war, say, for example, the Ukraine, but we read it and we don't really understand what's going on there. We just place it within, you know, all of the other things that are happening in our lives. And that's mainly to do because we don't really feel a lot of emotion. We, we didn't experience it. But anybody that has, for example, watched a movie uh, All Quiet on the Western Front recently knows that being even by seeing that movie, being on the front of the First World War is something completely different than reading about it. Mm. And being on the front of any war can completely change your perspective on things. Astronauts talk about the feeling that they had when they went to outer space and looked down on planet Earth. If we can sense these emotions and these feelings from other people, then we might m be much better able to actually empathize with them, connect with them. So as a species, it could, even if we don't fully be, uh, gain the ability to completely understand each other, we might still get the ability to better understand each other, at least from an emotional point of view, to be more empathetic, more connected. So there's that uh, hopeful future. Um, it, it, it sounds at first it sounds positive and then when I while you're talking and thinking about it deeply do I want to know what what it feels like to be a, a mud victim do I want to know what it feels like to be I'm not quite sure if I want that um, I, I can sort of have clinical empathy and sympathy I should say sympathy for someone in that shoes but do I want to be able to feel that position do I want to you know, I'm just thinking. Well, there will be people that won't. I mean, uh, in the Matrix, there's obviously this uh, this famous scene. Yeah, because we we love our movies. There's this famous <laughs> scene with uh, 
with um uh oh i forgot is it silex I, I always forget his name but he's sitting there eating steak uh, with agent smith and he says ah this steak it's nice and juicy and my brain tells me it's amazing Oh, the matrix tells my brain it's amazing. Ignorance is bliss. Uh, that's the, the important quote. And he says, ignorance is bliss. I want you to jack me back in. And I think for many people, this will go. There's a lot of people that might not choose to have that experience, but at least it will become a choice. And it could even be to the extent where, you know, for example, in the future, we could say to our leaders, you know, our prime ministers, the ministers, the, ministers, the people that run countries that have that authority that, okay, you're going to step into this role. That's perfectly fine, but then you will be required to experience oh, sure. what 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 your denizens, what your citizens experience. Right? This is mandatory for this job to understand your people to make these decisions. You need to understand what's or, going or, on in the world. Or public servants generally, you know. Or public servants generally, right? Like, ex exactly. So that's just one way how this could play out in a in a very beneficial way that could bring us closer together as a species and. Uh, uh, and improve things for us. Okay. Um, and one thing I want to ask, um, have I missed anything in this discussion that you'd like to add to it? <laughs> oh, man, Elaine, every time we have these conversations, I feel like we could go on for another two hours. I, I, so I, I thought your mind, mind might shoot off in all sorts of directions when I talked about reading people's brainwaves, because this is from a social level to academic to military to whatever. I mean, you will know whether your partner loves you or not because you can read their brainwaves. You know, in an exam situation, you anything. I, I just thought I was just going off in, in a tangent. I was thinking... Um, how will that completely change the way the world is? And I just thought, I'll, I'll put that to you and see what you say about that. Um, okay, let, let's end on this. Um, I've asked this question to, an, to a number of guests. Um, I, I, I love your directness and honesty. So I'm, I'm going to ask you this. Um, should pharmaceuticals, we're sticking with the you know neurotech, neurosolutions, should pharmaceuticals, big pharma, be worried because neurotech and neurosolutions especially with their precision, uh, um, will do away with drug solutions and treatments after have sort of like side effects. You know, look at hormone treatments today uh, and the stories of the side effects around them. Um, with a newer tech precision solution, perhaps this will completely sort of change um, pharmaceutical industries forever it, it, in the way streaming changed the music industry. What say you, Aragon? I would say, uh, <laughs> I would say yes. I, I would say that uh, you know, from from a shareholder point of view, from a uh, a revenue uh, profit point of view, they should be worried. Um, I mean, if if you look, for example, ever since the next Nixon era, uh, psychedelics have been sidetracked because they were then branded evil. And uh, after decades lost, in my opinion, decades lost, we finally see a, a revival of research into psychedelics and how they might alter brain states. And what we find is that the, the results are already mind-blowing. I mean, psychedelics can help us to deal with all kinds of PTSD, but they can go far beyond this. They can help us to battle uh, Alzheimer's and dementia. Uh, but the thing is that uh, in every one of these cases, very often it comes down to uh, either you know one or two treatments, mm -hmm. which is not something that you can commercialize. You cannot sell or keep selling that, right? Mm -hmm. And it's it's not a medicine that people need to keep taking every day. So from mm. from a pharmaceutical business point of view, that's yeah. within our current economy. That's not really interesting. But and and even if it does need more treatments, it's very often ex extremely small doses um, that can be produced extremely cheaply and 
there's simply no case in which the pharmaceutical company could even claim a patent on those because very yeah. often it's using psilocybin or stuff like that from mushrooms that grow naturally. So, uh, if and we're not even talking now about yet yeah, neurotech, if you can just put on a wearable, and there's already examples, for example, of people that have neurological disorders where they can't stop shaking, right? I don't yeah. know the name of it right now. Yeah, they put on... They put on a suit that, it, yes. it, you know, influences, gives them electrical uh, signals, et cetera, and they stop shaking, right? Yeah. This kind of technology can be completely life-changing, but it doesn't necessarily have to be very expensive. And it, it absolutely doesn't necessarily provide a, a business model for massive margins. But honestly, personally, I think that the pharmaceutical industry needs to change anyhow, because right now it's not benefiting humanity in, in, in mm. a lot of cases. Mm. Mm. And and I and I suspect it's um, in terms of the treatment that's given is going to be much more personalised. Whereas you know, drug so solution is to uh, to treat a general condition. Whereas uh, I think in the future you're going to ha have a, a more personalised treatment in terms of the content of what it what's in it um, for individuals. Because not exactly. I mean, imagine that. Whoop! I've been wearing this thing for four years. Imagine that the Whoop data, which mm -hmm. is supposedly mine, that they integrate a blockchain technology that allows me to be in control of the data that they've gathered for me. Imagine I wear this for another two decades and then I get older and, and I start neurologically degenerating. They will have decades of data on how my heart rate and my nervous system have been performing. Let, let's say that I give that to an AI and that AI is combined with Air, Apple AirPods that they have in my ears and that can create a, a signal or an, an uh, influence my, my, my brain waves in such a way that it counteracts some of the de uh, degeneration that's taking place, all based on that data. That would be incredible. Yeah. And that is a potential future that can happen. Uh, I totally agree with you. And how can you compete with that? In, in terms how of do you compete with that? Yeah, in the old way of doing things. Fascinating, fascinating. Aragorn Muladets, again, really love talking to you today on Heads Talk. Many thanks for your time and insights. It's my pleasure, Elaine. Every time. Thanks for joining me today on this episode of Heads Talk. Don't forget to subscribe to the show via my website, elainepringle.com forward slash Heads Talk, wherever you get your podcasts. Finally, I'd like to thank our sponsors, guests, and you for helping to make the show possible. Please join me next time where I'll be featuring more executives, C-suite leaders, and heads of multinational. Heads Talk podcast with your host, Elaine Pringle-Schwitter.